0: blog talk radio
1: here at aco radio american communications online or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests host or call-ins may say all programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only
2: hello world this is tj morris and you're listening to et radio Welcome aboard, all you ground troops spinning around smartly that's been with us since 2012. We're glad that you've stuck with us by thick and thin. This is 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. So I'm excited. This is our first show in 2020, and we're all about family and flag and faith and fame and fortune. All the Fs. (laughs) Freedom. (laughs) But uh, we like to be real here and tell our truth. And today, I almost didn't get on because I had to wait to uh, put this information on to the last. I just had one of those psychic feelings. It may be one of those things that's hard to get on. And it was. So I waited till the last minute to put on uh, Dr. Bruce Cornett's guest. And lo and behold, as soon as I did, it wasn't two minutes Until I got knocked off the studio, lost my password, everything, and so the algorithms shook me up, which uh, I had a feeling. Because Dr. Bruce Cornett had shared one of his emails with me with some interesting YouTubes that have been placed in our wonderful cyberspace. And we don't know how long all that's going to last, but apparently he uh, listened to a friend of mine, Robert Morningstar, who had uh, UFO Digest with me and Dirk Vanderplug in Canada. And I wrote for them for many, many years, and Robert and I are still friends, and I talked recently to him. And we're doing all we can to help people in disclosure, alienology, and things that uh, go bump in the night. We call the paranormal uh, world, so to speak, men in black, exposure to dis- disclosure. <laughs> but Dr. Bruce Cornette is a recent member, even though he's been on several of our shows, mine and Janet Carol Lessons, who has helped me with TGMRC-T Radio since 2012. And then she started her own Aquarian Radio, and she and I have been good friends since at least, not well—not good friends. We met in '93, and we're going to do a book, hopefully, on why we met and how we met. But in the meantime, uh, you may, in the future, get to know how Dr. Bruce Cornett found an interest in somebody. And I put Mindy; it's Melinda, <laughs> so now I can go back and change that. I just had to get it on. So Melinda's going to tell us some some things about shows she's been on and. She's had a very interesting life. I can't tell you everything, but uh, I'm going to do my best to give it to you live and record it here through herself because her YouTube's are still up, and uh, she's going to be a talk, uh, a guest, talking guest on radio. And I'm not doing; I'll do uh, live radio on YouTube later. But today, I just want to get her show down. I wanted to see how much um, interest I was going to have because my name, Thurmond. With hers, Romanoff. <laughs> but let me get Bruce introduced to you first. Dr. Bruce Cornett from El Paso, yeah. Texas. Is that you? Can Hi. Can you hear me? Hi. I can hear you. I'm fine. Uh, great. Thanks for uh, joining our ACO club and being an active member and contributing to today's show and helping us. Find someone that you found interested on uh one of our friends' shows. Tell us first about you, Doctor Bruce, and what you're about and why you wanted to bring uh this lady on our show today. But tell us about you Certainly. first.
1: All right. Uh my background is mostly in science and, and uh fossils and ancient uh life on, on the planet. <clears throat> I um uh got my bachelor's degree in biology and my master's in paleobotany and my PhD in palynology and geology and I spent uh, over 11 years in the oil industry doing my profession of looking at spores and pollen through a microscope to age-date rocks that were coming out of the ground out of wells that were being drilled for the oil companies I worked for and uh, then in in, um, 1981, as you know, uh, the uh, oil industry in, in, in the world collapsed with the collapse of the oil prices, and uh, I struggled uh, with my own oil company at that particular time and with uh, other uh, independent oil companies up until around 1988 when I got an offer from uh, Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory and a, and a colleague of mine who wanted me to work with him on the uh, Newark supergroup rocks along the east coast, which I had worked on for my doctorate. And uh, I became the well-site geologist for the largest National Science Foundation grant of millions of dollars to drill seven core holes each 4,000 feet. And I was responsible for describing all 28,000 feet of those cores in, in rocks that I had studied for my doctorate um now that completed uh the my life took a very big change in 1991 when my uh, wife died and uh, that was extremely traumatic for me uh and we're, that happened right in the middle of the, of the time when we were drilling our wells in new jersey and uh, it took me several years to really o- overcome that but in the process. I was introduced to something that was very um, not normal for conventional uh, scientists to deal with. Uh, I'd seen a miniseries on television called Intruders, and uh, this was in 1992. And I was surprised, having been a closet uh, scientist working within a university where you never talk about UFOs and aliens, uh, to see that this subject got a national uh, review. And I uh, went to the bookstore to get the book by uh, <clears throat> by Bud Hopkins uh, called Intruders, and the manager said, well, why don't you pick up this other book called Silent Invasion by Ellen Crystal, which I did, and I was shocked to find out that her story was about all of the craft that were flying around uh, where I lived at that time in Middletown, New York. And, uh, you know, being a curious scientist, I wanted to see for myself whether or not this stuff was for real. So I contacted her and she agreed to take me out into the field with her and others. And we, my first night out in the field, I was shocked by what I saw and saying, well, why doesn't the military know about this? Why doesn't the police know about this? As I learned more, I found out that they do, but they want to keep it uh, secret. They want to uh, cover up all of this activity that's going on in this area, which is just outside of the uh, Stewart uh, Army and Air Force Base, which was near Newburgh, New York. And and, um, I couldn't understand why uh, you could just go out of the field at night and these craft would come out and uh, be flying around us and putting on performances. Well, Ellen liked to take pictures, and I started taking pictures being a photographer. And um, I uh, set up my tripod and took time exposures of all of their activities as they were flying around with their lights on at night, and they would be painting uh, skygliss in the night sky, and I would capture these on my, uh, my photographic uh, canvas. And I began realizing that there was a lot more going on because I was seeing these craft diving into the ground and not exploding, coming up out of the ground, and realizing there was an underground base. And that's what Ellen Crystal said in her book, that there was an underground alien base, and that's why she named her book Silent Invasion. In other words, that we were being overrun by aliens uh, and nobody knew about it. And um, I I spent 11 years... uh, Working, uh, studying field work and capturing all of the data and then I published it last year in a book called Unconventional Aerial Phenomena" in the Hudson and Walker River Valley of New York and you can get that book on, on Amazon and it's, it's over 400 pages detailing all of the, the many hundreds of, of close encounter sightings that I've seen but the situation with um, uh, that, that basically ended my career in in uh in science in at the University of Columbia where I uh, worked with Lamont Doherty um, and ever since then I've been uh, continuing to uh investigate this subject so that's where I am now and I ran into um uh I knew Robert Morningstar I've known him for for decades and I've been on his radio shows uh we uh, uh are good friends, and uh, he let me know about this one woman called uh, by the name of uh, Melinda Zarniska and uh, she is um, uh, an extraordinary lady, uh, extremely brave and courageous, unbelievably so. Um, uh, and uh, the things that have happened to her uh, through government involvement in her life are. are are just amazing and, and she only recently Within the last I would say uh, Three or four years uh, Had her uh, genetic uh, uh, DNA studied And she found out That she's the last living uh, Adult um, uh, Descendant Of the Romanov family Who were the czars of Russia And it's.
2: And she's been
1: Subjected to, to so many Things going on uh, with, with the government. They've tried to kill her. They've shot her. They've tased her. They've uh, poisoned her with, with mustard gas, with, um, uh, with uh, uh, anthrax, and everything else trying to kill her. And they can't seem to do it. And, they, and men in black have come to her rescue and saved her. And uh, she's so basically what she's doing now is exposing just how deep and corrupt the uh, shadow government is in, in the so-called deep state in our country.
2: Well, the men in black must have helped me get on today because I have a lot of friends that were men in black, and I was a woman in black. <laughs> There's uh, a lot to those movies out there and entertainment, folks. Which, uh, uh, Bruce, if you don't mind, uh, I've asked Janet Carol Lesson, uh if she wants to come on today. You remember Janet. You've been on her show a couple oh, of course. times. Is that okay with of course. you? Yeah, All right, she'll was just. We'll, we'll let you – We'll let you do most of the interviewing, but I just want to uh, let her on here so she can uh, include this on her shows, and so Melinda i will get more coverage with me and, and Janet. Janet Carolesson, go ahead and inter- uh, introduce yourself, because uh, this was hard to get Melinda on today, and we'll both like to see how well, the I go, Melinda, if we can get her on. Uh-huh.
1: I asked Melinda to call in, and she has your number, okay?
2: So Okay, I think she's on here, but I just want to let uh, – Janet introduced herself. I did wait uh, because I did have a little trouble getting on. I had some new screens I wasn't accustomed to, but I'm sure Melinda will explain all that, even though I worked Intel. Uh, Melinda, if you're listening, I didn't, I didn't do all this stuff. I had very simple. Uh, we went from Wang to Microsoft computers when I started with the government. But Janet Careless, for the record, would you introduce yourself in our ACO club, please? Aloha. <coughs> Excuse me.
0: <clears throat> I hadn't spoken in a couple hours <laughs> Didn't realize I had a frog in my throat Hi, I'm Jenna Careless I'm calling from Maui, Hawaii I work with TJ Morris And all their different shows And we've, we've known each other since the uh, 19, Early 1990s We keep uh, going in and out of our, Each other's lives So I'm very interested in the Romulus story um, I was watching A series of YouTubes With uh, Anad Jiria Das And a couple other people And they said that the Pitchforks are coming. One of the Pitchforks events was, you know, when the royals kind of got um, uber rich, ultra rich, and the poor got poor, oh, the Romanovs got taken out (laughs) in uh, Russia, which is the home of my husband. He's he's pure Russian outside. And then, of course, if you watch uh, Victoria and you watch The Crown, uh, the the royals are always worried about when the different – monarchies are going to be taken out. In fact, To this day, they're always uh, balancing what they can say, what they can do, and they're in fear of when will they end the monarchy. So, um, yeah, the monarchs get their heads chopped off like Marie Antoinette and taken out like the poor Romanovs. and uh, So I've been researching it a little bit, but really interested in hearing your perspective on this story. And um, Yeah, I guess you have to hide if you're royal, but now you're out on the radio. So we're not sure what happened to you. I feel for you, and I'm really interested and excited about this topic today. So thank you, C J Back to you.
2: Thank you. Now, both Bruce and Janet and, and myself were all authors, if you're interested in our books on Amazon. I've got my Patreon.com, join Teresa J. Morris up, if any of you want to join us in the future. So with that said, let me bring on our guest of Dr. Bruce. Yeah. Uh, Melinda, is Have this you? you?
3: Yes, I'm here. Yay! Hey, Melinda. Hey, it's a pleasure to meet all of you. Um, I already (laughs) know Bruce. (laughs) But maybe we've known each other before.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure we have a similar vibration tone. and I often had dreams like uh, being a child in royalty and i wondered about the Romanov because I had an old dream of Russia and things like that. But we won't go there today. I want to get to know you. But this is going to be a quick overview with uh, Dr. Bruce and Janet and me. But for the first hour, can we just let you talk? And then the last hour, we'll uh, get in and ask you questions. So I'm sure you have something rehearsed because I see you've been on several YouTubes. But you want to just give us your uh, rundown? And then Janet and uh, Bruce and I will, I'm sure, have many, many questions. (laughs)
3: Sure, and at any time, feel free just to stop me and ask questions. You know, I, I'm 57 years old. Um, in my career, I was an international forensics accounting manager for 25 years. Um, I spent um, from 2000 through the end of 2011 – I lived in Nashville, and when I got down there and settled, I lived in Milwaukee all my life, and once I got down there and settled, I thought, oh, you know, I've always been a humanitarian. I want to do a lot of humanitarian work, and so I was born and raised in mainstream um, media on the radio side in the 70s. Excuse me. My mother Um, did the ascertainments in Miami for clear channel radio, which for the most part now is all mainstream radio. And then she subsequently worked, um, up here at a stage, two stations for 43 years as director of operations. Um, and even saw oversaw like all the FCC licensing and things like that prior to her career there. After World War II, she worked um, at the Pentagon for the Chief of Naval Operations under top secret clearance, which um, she helped develop these um, higher tech programs, you know, that we would consider now um, alien technology developments, if you will. Um, my mother is still alive. She's 92 years old. Um And so she's had a very interesting past in her own career. Um, I didn't know anything about my Romanoff connection at all. Um, Growing up and through the years, I didn't find out until 2016, um, some terrible things happened. I joined Alliance when I was in Nashville with CMA the YWCA, and recording artist, Martina McBride. And I chaired her celebrity auction full-time on top of my full-time work, um, fighting human trafficking and domestic violence. Over those eight years, we saved and rescued 56,000 women and children. And I started doing that work in 2000. Um, In 2005, just randomly, I got approached by a gentleman from Italy, his name is Marino Rangoni, and he was contacting me um, on behalf of the Italian government and the Vatican, and he said, listen, I am, you know, international CIA, like Interpol police, too. And he really is still police over there to this day. And he said, you know, you're gaining such huge international success on these programs that you've created and developed, you know, rescuing and saving all these women and children. Like the government of Italy would like to know if you would be open to assist us and help us develop um, a similar gig over here, but we would like to do it more on an NGO global scale versus a 501c3 domestic scale that you're doing. And at first I said, you know, you know, take a hike. I said, listen, I only work with A-list celebrities. Um, The music industry here is set up where we have walls, brick walls, chains around those brick walls to keep people even like you out. You know, it's not like we're an open door policy and we're going to open ourselves up to to working with anybody. So I had at first kind of like left it at that, but he was really relentless and he was super, super intelligent. And, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I just feel like that's what they were using as their into to me, you know, now that we're made aware of now, you know, of all the human trafficking and the satanic ritual abuse and the MK ultra programs and the alien agendas and the transhumanism agendas and things like that. Um, the key thing that always stuck out to me about him was, you know, when we'd be talking, he'd be, you know, talking about his work and his credentials, and he'd be like, well, you know, I'm a gray alien. And like back, you know, back in 2005, I'll be very honest, I was just naive. I had no idea these things um, ever existed. So I, my attitude with him was like, listen, you're really smart, but Maybe are you a little mentally ill? Do you need some medication? Or what are you talking about when you're talking about you're a gray alien? Like, I just didn't get it. You see what I'm saying? Um, So he and I, you know, I agreed that I would get to know him. He was very, very well credentialed um, in a prior military background as well, as most of them are. He was um, trained, like, in sniper shooting. He had bronze medals. He had all kinds of things. And uh, he, they were basically like, you know, whenever you would feel comfortable, you know, to have him as a guest to come over for a few weeks, could you kindly, like, teach us the logistics of what you're doing so we can implement an NGO over here? Well, I spent probably at least 20 hours a week getting to know him. We would live Skype together, okay? And in the spring of 2006, I said, I've got some vacation time coming up from my work, and it would be around the Easter time. And, you know, if you're really serious, I need for you to send me all of your credentials. And I will use my FBI in Nashville to credential your credentials, to make sure that you are trustworthy, that you are who you say you are. Um, It just so happened um, that at the Nashville field office, My friend that I worked with in the music industry, his name is Scott Augenbaum, and he happens to be the FBI's um, national and international director of cybercrimes. So that kind of worked out really good. Like if this guy was a phony, you know, like he, he would get caught and then that would end all of that. But Scott credentialed him. He said, you know, he is everything that he says and more, there's like, you don't have to worry, everything's going to be okay. And like, kind of like, you know, you should be honored that, you know, the Italian government wants to develop something similar to what you're doing, but even on a bigger scale. And so I agreed, you know, I had in 2004, I had built a brand new home on a three quarter acre lot It was a big, beautiful home right behind the Smyrna Military Airport in Laverne, Tennessee, which is a suburb outside of Nashville. And he comes over, and he's there for, I don't know, a good week or so. And it was going to be Easter holiday, and he wanted to go to Florida because my family had been down um in Florida in Clearwater um for Easter and they all still lived in Wisconsin so he's like well why don't we go down to Florida and meet with your family I'd like to get to meet your family and and we can have a holiday together down in Florida too and I thought well why not so we all went down to Florida he met up with all of my family etc and you know after we got back from Florida. First, I had a red flag, because he wanted to drive when he was here. And I wanted to take out um, insurance to cover my vehicle if he wanted to drive. And I found it really strange that my insurance company wanted to charge me 99 cents to add him onto my policy during the time that he was here. And so we were driving back from Florida and he's like, Hey, can I drive? And I said, sure. And he's speeding. Like the speed limit going through George is like 70 miles an hour. And he's flying like 95 miles an hour. I said, listen, you have to slow down. I said, you know, we can get pulled over by the troopers and you know, you're going to get a ticket and all this other stuff. Well, that's exactly what happened. The state trooper, pulls us over. He's like, what do I do? I said, give him this piece of paper from the insurance and give him your credentials. So the trooper has his stuff for less than five minutes, comes back, tips his hat to him and says, Mr. Rungoni, just slow down and get safe back to Nashville. Have a nice day. And that's when I looked at him and I said, who are you really? I said, if that was me behind the wheel of the car, I would have just gotten arrested. I said my insurance would have gone up for two years. I could have lost my driver's license. And the Georgia troopers don't tip their hat to anybody and treat them like that. And he said, I told you, I am international CIA. And, like, my jurisdiction internationally supersedes their jurisdiction. So, we get back to Nashville and I've got to start going back to work, which left me, um, left him alone in my house, which now I know that was a terrible mistake. Okay. Um, he was always fascinated with my computer systems. I had a home office and he was always on my computer systems. Well, I had had one of those days at work where, you know, I was constantly putting out fires. I was one of the administrators of American Home Patient Corporate. And in my department, I had a staff of 13 and oversaw all the outbound funds for that corporation um, in my department. And I had always been, you know, putting out fires every day, all day long. And I just had one of those days where you just want to come home You just want to get your chilling clothes on and just call it a day. So he never heard me coming home. He never heard me coming up the stairs into my office. And so I came in up behind him and he was on my computer and he had like all these different windows open. He was chatting to all kinds of different women. Some of them were like half naked on beds. And I was like, what in the hell are you doing? I said, that's it. I said, right now, you're going to pack up all of your stuff, and I'm taking you to the Nashville airport, and I could care less where you're going. I said, I don't trust you. And I said, I don't really care what kind of credentials you have. I said, your behavior is not matching what your credentials are. And now he'd been there, you know, darn close to two weeks, And we weren't even working on anything to do about the reasons surrounding why he came to begin with. You understand? So I take him to the Nashville airport. um, And I pretty much believed that he was out of my life. Like I didn't hear from him. We didn't communicate anymore. We had a fallout. I thought he was gone. And so rolling forward to um, 2011, Um, When President Obama had come in for his first term, we were a private-held corporation. And with his Health Care Reform Act, he had ordered us to go from private-held company to go public to the market. And as part of, you know, everybody lost their jobs. Everybody's work got outsourced to India. And most Americans don't even realize all of their health care records are being um, taken care of and oversaw now in India. And and how the laws work with all of our HIPAA laws, all of our PHI laws, um, they don't have to abide by any laws once all of our information is offshore. So they sell our information. I'm constantly telling people, don't give up your body fluids. Don't give up blood work because that's going like straight back to the Vatican stuff, to the tree of life. Okay. So I'm always telling people, don't give up that stuff and trying to educate the public overall that our health care records are being held in India and maybe even some other countries now that are not our friends, okay? And so they offered me a separate benefits package. I'm very trained in systems. And as part of my benefit package, they wanted me to stay back and upgrade nationally um, all of the Oracle-based platforms to go paperless. Do you know what Oracle platforms are, Teresa? I was on Hello? mute.
2: Um, I'm, I'm familiar with Oracle, but I don't know that uh, my skills are up to your skills. So why don't you tell
3: everybody that's listening, if you don't mind. No, uh-huh, not at all. Oracle-based platforms, are oper- it's an operating system through Microsoft. They're used in bigger corporations, especially if you're doing um, a lot of interstate, you know, computer work or international. They're just really huge platforms. And so I had just got done with my work at American Home Patient. Um, I was now on the bench and my home system crashed. So I was like, oh, I'm going to just go out and buy myself a new computer system. And I bought myself um, a wireless, you know, satellite computer, all touch screen made by Gateway. And you bet it was a Gateway. Um, And I had gone on Mother's Day to the air show. Um, Over the years, I had become acquainted and friends with some of the United States Thunderbirds, the Blue Angels, Um, you know, whenever they were going to have their air shows once a year, you know, they would come to practice through the week. So I'd get the air show all week long because my house was in their direct landing path. So I would go to the air shows, we'd hang out, we'd take pictures and stuff together. So on Mother's Day, I come back home and I'm like, well, this would be kind of cool. You know, then 2000, what? you know, 2011, um, I'm still waking up to like how to take pictures and put them up on Facebook. I had just gotten a Facebook and I'm trying to play around with Facebook. And I'm like, I think that it would be fun to put these, these Air Force pictures with my Air Force buddies up on Facebook. And so I did that. And then I log out of my Facebook, I'm going to shut down my computer for the night. And all of a sudden, I saw them Oracle icons shutting down in my home system. And I was like, what in the hell is this running in my home system? So I know how to get into my different drives, my C drives, any kind of external drives. And so I'm like, they know now I'm on my own system trying to figure out what they're doing I'm finding all their folders as fast as I could get in those folders. I'm printing all this stuff out. And I realized, like, oh, my God, like when he was there way back in 2006, he had cloned my system. And what I was finding was really disturbing. It was running in 39 countries with... The deep state and the international shadow governments. He had set up a Dun and Bradstreet account on Wall Street, where they were using um, that account for the money laundering side to go to the Cayman Islands. Okay, and I'm like, just kind of like a mad woman for a few days trying to gather my intel on this stuff, and I was like, this is outrageous. And he had also, like cloned back then, I had a Yahoo account. And he had made darn upwards over 40,000, like bogus accounts. But he wasn't as smart as he thought that he was, because he would do things to me, I would be digging in my email and find emails from me to me. But if I go back, you know in the security sides and find out you know the ip addresses and stuff it all came back to him he actually named my computer his real marino rangoni name running all those files through my home system so he wasn't very clever as far as that goes and i was able to pull all of this data and then i'm analyzing it cuz i i one of part of my work was was to analyze too. So like, say for example, if your company was missing a million dollars, okay, I would be the secret person brought in doing the backdoor audits, finding out who's stealing corporate money and seeing to it that our critical infrastructures um, were not being compromised and things like that. So kind of like I was the little secret agent going into these companies, and busting down corruption too. Okay, so I knew what I was doing, and what I was finding was just so, just incredibly illegal. Number one, number two, but when I realized that, listen, this is all connected to these international mobs and cartels, and you know, it was in the trillions that was being transferred through that Dun and Bradstreet account to the Cayman Islands, and I'm like. I got to get this stuff out of my hands. I'm like, I need to get this out of my hands. So I packed up my car um, with the systems, with um, all the paper trails. I'm not going to say online here today how I have other media saved and where it's secured even to this day, but but that's been done um, numerous times because of the vastness of it. Um, So long story short, I'm exhausted now. And I've got to get this stuff out to Washington, D.C. I had specific people that I wanted to get this stuff into their hands because I sure as hell didn't want it in my hands. It was very dangerous for me. And so I got it successfully into the hands I wanted to after a huge war. And that's when I was introduced to who really is the deep state and who the shadow governments are. Uh, um, They made themselves known to me, if you will. And so I get back home. Um, One of the things that he did um, was he like, made all kind of name variations for all of my family members too that, that he was using to like solicit the resell of these huge Oracle-based products, platforms, services, along with public key codes and things like that. And he was trying to resell them for approximately 50,000 euros apiece. Now, you got to understand this is all stuff that's been pirated and hijacked from Microsoft. And I thought, if I get out of this alive, it's going to be a miracle. Because I had people chasing me. I had, and I'm not talking about just a couple vehicles. I'm talking miles of people trying to run me off the road. I say it was during that trip that I learned how to be a NASCAR driver to keep alive. Um, So I have family up here, very wealthy family in construction. They mostly do government jobs. And that was the cousin that I introduced him to on our trip to Florida. Okay. So I'm contacting my cousin up here and I'm like, listen, listen, this is actually what's going on. This is actually what's happened. He's like, where are you now? I'm like, I'm in Washington, D.C. He's like, I don't care how you get back up here to Milwaukee, but you need to get your butt back up here to Milwaukee, and I'll have a team of agents waiting for for us when, we get, when you get here. And I said, well, I haven't had any sleep. It's been days now. I said, I've got to rest a little bit, but then I'll be on my way. I'll let you know when I'm on my way and that's what we will do. I said, because I am in a lot of danger right now. I said, I've have I now have all these enemies that I don't even know who these people are. I'm just starting to wake up a little bit um, to the reality of what I actually really found and how dangerous it actually really all is. Well, this prior week of me finding all of this stuff out, I got called in um, to my local police in Laverne, Tennessee, and was assigned police, detectives, the bank president, because at that time I had was buying and selling on eBay and I had a verified PayPal account. Well, one of the things that they were doing is they were buying and selling cars and trying to list me for those fees number one number two after they exhausted my bank account they were going back door and going into the bank's money every night trying to write themselves checks e-checks for like thousands of dollars and that got tied to me so you know when I did all that music industry work and so on and so forth, I always had my own police teams, I had my own SWAT teams, I had my own FBI teams, um, I had a totally clean record. I'd never had a ticket in my life, never a traffic stop or anything. And so they all sat me down and they were like, listen, you know these thugs and these criminals they're really dangerous and they're smart so like just for example should you ever find yourself um on any road or a dark road even being pursued by police don't ever stop till you're in a well lit area so i'm keeping these kinds of things in the back of my mind now that i'm seeing this this really bizarre fallout happening all around me and now i'm going to head back from Nashville up to my family in Milwaukee up here. And so I got out of Tennessee pretty good. But when I hit Kentucky, I'm telling you, all hell broke loose. These people were on a vengeance for whatever reason to kill me. I'm flying in the emergency lane, you know, the the bumpy one, going like 90, 95 miles an hour, And I'm just trying to keep myself alive. And I was able, I was somewhere between Bowling Green and Louisville. And I was finally able to successfully get off an exit. um, Oh, at about 85, 90 miles an hour. And how I did not flip that car looking back is a miracle in of itself but i found myself on a frontage road i didn't even know where i was all i was so thankful was there was nobody pursuing me there was nobody with me i was alone and just trying to reget my composure back together and i thought whoa i just this i just really need a little peace here and sure enough here come the troopers and all i could think in my mind's was what my detectives and my police told me back home. If you're ever being pursued by a police, um, even on a dark road, don't ever stop until you're in a well-lit area. And so I put my flashers on. I could see up a couple miles that I had a well-lit area coming up. And I didn't know what to do. I never had a ticket. I never had a police stop. I didn't know what to do. And I sure as hell didn't know you don't ever get out of your vehicle. And so I get to my wallet area. It's in Munfordville, Kentucky, which is Hart County, Kentucky. And there's like a McDonald's there. And that was well where my wallet area is. Well, when I pulled over... There was a line of troopers. There were six of them. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know you don't ever get out of your vehicle. But they terrified me. And so I'm like, I got out of my vehicle. I put my hands up in the air like to surrender. And they all ambush shot me. Those officers did. And then they shot me not just with bullets but with tasers too. And then they cuffed me and they threw me to the ground and they kicked and they beat me into a bloody pulp. Then they flipped me on my back and they injected my ribs with some kind of drugs or something. And it started to make my body convulse. It was later after the fact of all this mess is that it's a permanent glow dye to my body where, for example, if you would put me into a crowd of 10,000 people and somebody put night vision on, I'm the one standing there lit up like a green neon sign. It was a permanent glow dye to my body. And so after they injected my ribs, they flipped me back face down. Um, One trooper lifted me up at my waist and two others stomped my back with their boots and they broke all my ribs. And I mean, now I'm a, I'm shot. I've been just brutally like assassinated attempted and I'm like dying on the ground. Well, they still weren't done. One trooper came up, he took his gun and he laid it on my elbow and just for kicks pulled the trigger And his whole gunhead blew off into my elbow, and it is still there today. I keep that as evidence and carry that trooper's gunhead in my elbow even now. And so, you know, they say right before you die, your whole life flashes before you, and that's kind of the state that I was in. But I could see, um, even though I was face down, and, you know, I'm in cuffs and I can see out of a part of the corner of my eye, there was a great big black SUV that pulled up and I could see a man get out and he was dressed in a black and white suit with a long black trench coat. He, I call him my man in black that saved my life that night. Um, for some reason, those troopers, recognized who he was and they instantly stopped and lined up into command to him. And I remember him bending down to me and saying, Melinda, what the F is going on here? And all I could really say, cause my body's convulsing. I'm, I remember saying to him, like, you know, I don't know, like you tell me I'm the one here on the, on the ground dying. And he came down and he said, listen, I've called you an ambulance and I could hear it from the distance. And he's like, I'm going to get rid of these troopers. And, you know, when you're dying like that, you just really don't even care anymore. Um, You just don't. And so the ambulance comes. He picks me up. He puts me on the gurney. He puts me in the ambulance and he shuts the door. And he's like trying to clean you know, the 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 ambulance attendant is trying to, you know, like clean up my face a little bit and try to stabilize me and he's like, listen, he's like really truly what the F is going on? And I said, I don't trust you. I said I don't know why they're trying to assassinate me. I said, but I don't trust you. And he's like, you're going to have to trust somebody and I'm going to have to be the one you trust. He's like, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. And so I tried to explain to him a little bit what was going on. And he's like, listen, I got to get rid of these troopers. And he's like, and then I have to take you for a ride. If I take you, you know, for treatment around here, um, they're going to finish killing you. And I said, I get that part, but the question is why? And so he did. He got rid of the troopers. Then he helped me out of the ambulance. And when he got me to his SUV, he took my cuffs off. And he laid me in the back seat and he said, we have to go for a ride. And if you were to ask me now, like, how long was the ride, etc., cetera. Honestly, I don't know. I was in and out of consciousness. And I woke up and I was in a United States Army military hospital somewhere in Kentucky. And it was the military who removed the gunhead? The gun. The gunned wounds. Um, they pulled all the taser wires out of me. Um, my body was still convulsing uncontrollably, and they cleaned me up. And you know, they said, you know, we can't take that gunhead out of your arm because it's so deep. Like whenever you get out, you'll need to seek out an orthopedic surgeon to have it removed. Well, I didn't really care about that. You still, you, you know, I was just like that injured. I just didn't even care. And so I don't know what they gave me at that hospital, but it kind of brought me back, if you will. And I was able to talk to them, and they were asking me questions like, you know, do you have any birthmarks? Yes. Do you have any tattoos? No do you have any surgery scars? Yes, I've had a total reconstruction of my right ankle done when I was 16. So the scars nine inches, and they're all excited. They're like, well, thank God. And I'm thinking to myself, why are they so excited about these things? And so finally, I asked them, what's the big deal about these markings on my body? And they were like, because Your markings on your body identify you to you, and this is why. And they had, like, what would be comparable to, like, a 54-square-inch flat-screen TV, and they flipped it around. It's really hard for me to talk about this. There was me and almost every driver's license in the United States and passports. That's how much identity theft I had. And they were like, this identifies you to you. That's why it's important. That's how much fraud and identity theft that had been done to me behind my back. And so once they were done with me, the man in black, as I call him, he's like, now we have to to take you back to the jail in Munfordville. And now you have to face your charges. And I was livid. I said, face my charges for what? Like, y'all just tried to assassinate me. And I said, and I'm innocent, and I didn't do anything wrong. And I said, I'm the kind of person that if I've done something wrong, I'll own it and admit that I've done something wrong. But I've had done nothing wrong that warranted any of this. I said, I am a community leader for the last eight years. I said, I don't deserve any of this. So what are you talking about? I have to go face my charges. He said, I told you when I put you in the ambulance, you need to be the strongest you've ever been in your life. And I promise you, I'm going to get you out of all of this. And I was still like, get me out of all of what? So he takes me to the jail. I'm still in my bloody clothes. I've just had bullets and tasers removed. I got a whole gun head in my elbow and broken ribs. And they threw me on a concrete floor in that condition. And if you were to ask me how many days Were you on that concrete floor, to be honest? I don't even know. All I know is that they had some kind of orders that they force-fed me drugs three times a day. And I would ask to see the judge, and they would be like, denied, um, you are not judge-presentable. I would ask to make a phone call. They would be like, you're not allowed any phone calls. And I thought, this is some kind of just an outrageous kind of a setup. Again, the question being why. Um, and so they came in to dose me again. And I refused. Well, you're not allowed to refuse. They had a torture chair, I call it. And they would put you in the torture chair and strap your arms down, your legs down um, at the neck, and they would force the drugs down your throat. So you learned to comply. Believe me, one, one time in the torture chair, you don't ever want to go back in the torture chair, okay? Um, and so I would ask again to see the judge or have an attorney or something, And they kept telling me, you're not judge presentable. And so I don't know how many days, honestly, I was on that concrete floor. Well, at some point, I did get changed into orange prison clothes, okay? And they shackled me and brought me to the judge. And they said that I was being charged with 13 charges. I believe it was six of them were felonies, and they wanted to lock me for 30 years. Well, then I really got mad. I was like, this is a bunch of BS. I said, listen very carefully to me. I said, I do not negotiate with terrorists, domestic, foreign, or both, nor do I make deals with the devil. I said, I'm absolutely having none of this. And when I say I'm having none of it, you better get me a damn good attorney. I said, because I'm having none of this. I've got a perfectly clean record. And I didn't do any of what you're charging me with. You see, I didn't know at that time that that all my charges had been presented to a federal grand jury who dismissed the whole thing. And I didn't know that they had come back after that dismissal and added a 14th bogus felony. And that also got dismissed by a federal grand jury. So by law, they should have already had let me go. But when I told them I was having none of this, they're like, oh, we're going to send you away. And I was like, where are you going to send me And what for and why. And they're like, well, we're gonna send you away. You know, like, we wanna give you an evaluation to verify the facts to the statements that you're making. And then I thought, okay, fine. So they transport me to Eastern Kentucky to a maximum security army prison. And the confounds of that maximum security army prison, it is like sectioned off where they house 11 men on one side that you don't ever have interaction with. And on the other side, they house 11 women, okay? I'm telling you one thing right now for all of us that are listening. People don't go home from there, okay? And it is actually a concentration camp. And, yes, they do some evaluations there or whatever they front up. And they also had those same orders. I was given um, a social worker on the first day, and I said to her, this will be the first and the very last time we see each other here because – I'm not a Moses who needs an Aaron to speak for her. I'm writing my own federal statement to the judge and some other people. And I did, I wrote my own 37 page statement to the judge. They allowed me to have, um, a pencil and paper. Okay. And so I'd spend time, um, writing my own statements a lot of different people while I was there. And it came to be about maybe my 21st to 25th day there. You know, they force fed me drugs two, three times a day there against my will too. And like I did have a private cell there and all my guards were sergeants on up the ranks. And I don't know what they would do to us or do to me at night. All I know is that when I would go to sleep on my, on my bed, many, many mornings I just woke up in a heap on that floor, wondering what happened and how did I get from being on the bed here to being in this heap on the floor okay? Um, We may never know those answers. And one day, I got called by the sergeant to go see the doctor (laughs) at his office. And my sergeant's in there with me with the doctor and the doctor says, I'm in review of your federal statement. He said, can you go into all our military security levels and find all of these networks that you're claiming is going on with, you know, international corruption and stuff. And I said, of course I can find it. So he's like, here, here's my computer, go back door into my computer and find what you're talking about. And I said, okay. So I go to his computer, I find it all. I find all of it, and he freaked out, and my sergeant's in the corner, just smiling and giving me thumbs up, and then when he was done with me and I was done on his computer, he's like, okay, you can go back to your cell now, and it was about two days later, um, he came to my cell, the sergeant came to my cell, um, there was another military officer that came, there was a nurse that came and they all came together into my cell and said, Melinda, are you ready to go home now? And I started crying. I said, Don't mess with me. They're like, No, haven't you been through enough? Aren't you ready to go home? And I said, You bet I'm ready to go home. And they were like, Your your county will come back to pick you up and then you'll have to go, um back to the county until your final hearing and at your hearing, you'll get released. They were like one of the military officers and the judge said, we will be on the phone at your court hearing with your attorney for your release. I said, okay. The problem with that is once they came to pick me back up and take me back to the county, um, they don't tell you how long your wait is going to be until your final hearing. You know, it's kind of a limbo thing. They don't tell you anything. So when they got me back to that little county jail again, they stripped me naked. They wrapped me in a black tarp and threw me in a little pit on a concrete floor for another 21 days. And on that 21st day, which marked exactly 90 days, from the incident, um, I got released, and I got to go home. I didn't get charged one penny, not one point on my record for my driving. Um, Everything was dropped, okay, Um, and I was free to go home, but during that time, too, was when President Obama did the Let's Make Homes Affordable Act, too, if you remember back then. And my house was um, mortgaged through the Bank of America. And while they had me in custody, they robo-signed my house behind my back and not only hijacked my house, but they hijacked I had, like, accrued around $13,000 equity in the house, too. So when I was going to go home, I was going home homeless. And I get out, and the jailer gives me a note to call this guy because it's just a little hick town. And the car had got impounded to the lot. And the car got repossessed during that 90 days. And I didn't really care because it was a new car that I had co-signed for my adult daughter. And it was like a burden to me anyhow um, because she was just bullying the hell out of me. Um, That's another interview for another day. But I didn't care that they repoed the house. But I had a note to call the guy, um, from the impound lot who, um, said, call me when you're out, I have something that you want. And I couldn't imagine what this man would possibly have that I would want. And so, um, they let me make one phone call and I called him and he's like, are you out? And I said, yes. And he's like, I only live like less than five minutes away And he's like, I have something you want. And so he picks me up and he takes me back to his house, which is where his lot is. You know, we got to remember we're in the south and it's just a small hick town. And he's like, I'll be right back. And he comes out and he had my purse. And in my purse was all my ID. And, you know, back then I had money. And so I had about a thousand dollars cash and he was like, I've been holding this cash for you and your IDs and stuff. I knew that you would need this to get out when you got out. And so he's like, is there anywhere that I can take you to? I said, well, I have even no idea anything about this town. And I said, is there a hotel out here? And he was like, yes, there's one. And so I had been released in my dirty, bloody clothes again, and didn't want to be walking around like that, so he took me to the only hotel in that town, and that hotel manager was really kind to me um, so once I got settled in my room there for the night, I walked up to like what what would be like a Costco. They had like a small you know store, kind of like a target Costco, and I bought myself some new fresh clothes and little bit of makeup and stuff. And I'm like, like it was surreal to me. I was like, how am I going to get back to Nashville now? Cause the car's gone. I at least had cash. So the uh, hotel manager ended up driving me as a courtesy all the way back to Bowling Green where I got a Greyhound and got back to Nashville Um once I got back home to Nashville, I had um, a full paid forerunner in my garage. So I had a secondary vehicle. And yeah, they had the foreclosure paperwork on my doors. And my house had been broken into and ransacked so many times, it was just an absolute disaster. So I went and I bought um, black spray paint at um, a farm and fleet, and I spray paid, spray painted my whole house, and I said, you MFers, I will get out of my house when I'm damn good and ready, and put all them on notice. I literally sprayed my entire house, <laughs> and so I started having moving sales. Um, I finally got um, back up to Wisconsin, and... I was a home homeowner, and I didn't know that once I got back up here, I would need rent ratios um, to rent somewhere to live. So I ended up living in a hotel for a year, working and saving to go rent a, a place to live. Um, my first contract was, out of everything, can you believe it, it was to do one of my counties here, I took contract work to be um, to go in and prep one of the counties here in southeastern Wisconsin for their state audit at the police, fire, and Department of Public Works. That was my first contract back to work. And once I completed that, I was on the bench again. And my contractor called me and said, listen, there's this company from India their staffing company and they want to hire you. And will you go and be their chief financial officer? And I said, "Well, let me go interview with them." So I went and I interviewed with them and they hired me on the spot. Well, I had found out, I mean, they wanted me to start right then, which which was red flag to me. Usually if you go interview somewhere, you know, like maybe you're going to start, you know, the next day or in a couple of days, not Let's just go to work now. You're hired. Let's go here. And so I had started asking questions and it turned out that all their financial department just walked out on them, which is a huge red flag in my business. So immediately I sought out um, an outside CPA service to sign off on um, everything I did. Because when you work in high finance, like I worked, like even now, if I would have signed off on something that would have been illegal transactions back then, now, I could be prosecuted because I signed off on it. Um, And so what this company was doing, they were a staffing company from India But they own a ginormous, they have a ginormous home office (laughs) that um, is called Technocraft. And it's if you Google it, they're just a ginormous empire. And what they were doing is, you know, people are now familiar with, like, the travel bans that President Trump implemented. He, for the most part, has capped. The HB1 visa program, and that in part is to do with what I've helped him implement because of working for this staffing company. They would bring their engineers over here under short term visas, and then they would do like this they'd send maybe 35 engineers over here at a time, and they might send one or two to Harley-Davidson, which is in Milwaukee. They may send them down to work at Convergy down in Illinois. And then the rest of them, uh, they were sending them up to Canada to work and having a secondary staffing company um, charge our little office back in Brookfield, Wisconsin, um, thousands of dollars a month as a secondary in a running staffing company that was paying the engineers who were a hundred percent violation of their visas to even come into the U S to work only to send them to Canada to work, which is totally illegal. And here I'm thinking, Oh God, here's another setup all over again. But I wanted to stay behind because you see, I was getting port notifications every single day. And I was like, what do you guys want me to do with all these port notifications? And they're like, oh, you coordinate all the deliveries. And when I'm telling you that they had port deliveries coming into our country every day, it would start at New York loop all around the whole country back up into Canada. And I was like, listen, you guys are a staffing company. You don't manufacture anything And what are you doing all this offshore billing for? And what are you sending into my country? Well, they sure as hell didn't like my questions, okay? So after I gathered the Intel on that company, which was just another damn setup all over again, I got a hold of once. It was the only job in my life I ever quit. I just absolutely quit one day when one of the VPs came in and ordered me to wire transfer to his friend in Atlanta, Georgia, $25,000 cash. And I said, I need an amortization schedule for repayment back on this money, especially if you're using corporate funds to do it. I'm like, what kind of an idiot do you think I am? I said, you have no schedule of repayment. It is illegal to use um business money even for a short term loan for your little friend in Atlanta and I refused to do it I refused to sign off on it and so I quit that day and when I quit that day I took my intel with me and I reported them to Department of Homeland Security for being in violation of their visas for their employees I reported them to the international port authorities I reported them to Secret Service and to the CIA and to the FBI, okay? So now I've got that company that I'm thinking that I'm done with. Well, I had saved enough money at this point where I found a beautiful flat to rent. So I had my rent ratios in order. I paid them security deposit, first month rent, last month rent. And then paid three months extra rent ahead. I just didn't want to worry about it. And during that time, I, my daughter had, I had her living with me at that time. Um, And I noticed in the morning, she would literally get out of bed and go into the bathroom. And she would be heaving her guts out for like 20 minutes. And then she'd come out and she'd be fine. And I'm thinking to myself, good Lord, like, is she pregnant? Like, she's not telling me. And so I charted it on a calendar for a month. And then it started happening to me. And then my body broke out in these heinous lesions from head to toe. So we wound up together at um, St. Luke Hospital, which is Aurora Healthcare in, in Milwaukee. And... They did all kinds of testing, they did all kinds of stuff, and they told me that I was infected with um, inhalation and gastrointestinal anthrax, and that the delivery system was done to me through the HVAC unit of that um, flat that I had rented, okay? So, now we get police involved, and some other things. You know, since nine eleven, it's taboo to talk about anthrax because of, you know, the envelopes that went out and a few senators died and then the whole Amerifax trial happened. So, you know, I just couldn't seem to get away from all these assassination attempts and all these things like why do these people want me dead? You know, they're, they're just criminals. Okay. And I've always been a humanitarian, a law abiding citizen. And now I just keep getting all these setups, even after all the Kentucky stuff. And so I went through about seven months of treatment, but on the second visit to that hospital, I noticed something was really, really amiss because I'd walk into the hospital and I would get escorted to my glass room by either police, Milwaukee police, or security, not even medical staff. And then within 10 minutes, you know, the black suits would be standing outside my door and I didn't confront them. What I did, because I had that healthcare background, I went to administration and started pulling all of my medical records as they were treating me for seven months in Aurora Healthcare. They were blocking my records for release immediately, and then they were eliminating me epic nationwide to nationwide doctors like I never even existed, okay? And so one day... I get a phone call from Officer Pekovich from the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department. He's their top forensics officer. And he said, You know, I need to have a meeting with you. Can you come down to my office and meet with me? I said, Sure. And when I got down there, I had brought in all my medical records along, and he had all my medical records too. So we went page by page by page through all my medical records. And when he gets done, he's like, wow, Melinda, they have really done a number on you. And I said, yes, sir. And what are you going to do about it? And so he kicks his chair back. He crosses his legs, puts them up on his desk, and he's like, I'm not going to do a damn thing. And I started bawling, like, what in the F are you talking about? Like, this is is attempted murders ongoing again, the question still being why, and you're the top forensics officer that prosecutes any murder or attempted murder or any kind of heinous crimes in Milwaukee County, and you're telling me you're not going to do anything? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, no, you listen to me very carefully. He said, very rich and powerful men in this city paid me and Sheriff David Clark Jr. millions of dollars to steal, destroy, and kill you. Now get the F out of my office. And he kicked me out of his office. And I go home and I'm balling. I'm like, I just really um, don't know what my next steps are. And I thought, now I am can't even work anymore. I'm disabled. Like, I have anthrax all the time. They're all covering up everything that they've done to me. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to try to take this a little bit higher to more of the federal tiers of the government. And I had applied for social security and I hired an attorney to handle my social security, which does help speed up the process a little bit, not much, but a little bit. I was denied the first time. And then I screamed at them. I said, no. I said, after what you bastards have done to destroy my life, I said, you are going to get me in the courtroom before that judge. And they did, and I got granted my Social Security on the spot. Um, The federal judge withheld back about three years or so of my back pay that I was entitled to. And he said, and I'm going to explain to you why. You see, believe it or not, I'm still not fully awake back then. And this is like in 2000. Between 2013 and 2015, I got awarded my Social Security in 2015. And he's like, you submitted over 800 pages of evidence to your case. And I said, I know. And he's like, the reason why I'm going to hold back this back pay is because if we paid you this back pay money um, for these years, he said, it would be as if you were accepting federal payment for what the federal government has done to you. I said, understood, because I wasn't going to argue with him. One of the things they leave me is bound down destitute financially. Um, so I'm always in a constant mode of being financially in straits, And so I needed what monies that he was going to give me which came to be about $11,000. And when I got that back pay money, I hired a toxicologist in Los Angeles. And I go and I drive all the way to LA from Milwaukee. Um, I only made one stop overnight in Breckenridge. And I hired her to do my toxicology panels. When she ran my panels, She was like, listen, honey, you are too sick. By law, I cannot release you to travel back all the way to Wisconsin alone. She's like, your body is full of not just the inhalation and gastrointestinal anthrax. She's like, you've been bioterrorized with mustard gas. Your body is full of radiation from fallout. She's like, your body is full of different types of chemotherapy, but you don't have cancer. And she's like, and by law, I can't release you, um, until you have somebody to escort you back to Wisconsin. So my daughter ended up flying out, um, to LA to come back with me to Wisconsin. And so it was between her office and some private detectives that, um, are in Missouri. Um, I hired her to, And she does what's called full-body HSCADA scans. HSCADA stands for Human Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition. And she's like, we need to find out what is inside of your body. And the results were is that I am illegally implanted and patented with Qualcomm Networks just like all of our smart devices, the same Qualcomm. Their headquarters are in San Diego, California. I have a very valid patent. I've shown them in my prior interviews I did with Renetta. Um, And I've implanted the main networks. There's one under my belly button. It's called a body area controller. It feeds up to my right shoulder, which is called a body area network. Um, between my, sho- my my shoulder, well, between my bre- right breast and my hip, they have also implanted what's called a wireless body area network wireless device. So, in my ears, I've got 134 sensors. There's like 122 in my eyes, and um, they also bioterrorized my eyes. So if you would put me under UV light, they are purple stars of David. Why they did that to this day, I'm not really sure of why they would bioterrorize my eyes, purple stars of David, but they did. Um, And so I've got in my left foot... There's, I think, I think the patent says there's 134 implants in there too. And so that is the main patent on me. There is a companion patent that is run through IBM headquarters in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, the doctor that's over that patent, his name is Dr. Abinif Algarwar. And he runs a company. Anybody can Google his company. It's called PMRRS.org, Patient Monitoring Rescue and Response System. Now, this these two patents combined. Um, I did public audit of his patents in 2016 and discovered that there are 3.5 million American citizens that are being monitored under both the Qualcomm patent and his patent at IBM. And they net profited globally, and coincidentally, the same 39 countries that I have the forensics on. Um, They net profited over $400 billion in 2016. Um, So now I find out, okay, now now they're using me in illegal human experimentation, which the trickle-down goes like this. The world operates like this, too. The Vatican owns everything. Then it trickles down to the Department of Defense. Then the funding goes down to the CIA, which falls down to Um, Department of Homeland Security, down to the grant funding to the universities and medical communities for the GPS fusion centers. And so I've got all this intel now on all of these people, you know, that just traffic me like a whore um, and bankroll off of me, leaving me with nothing. So I'm now set up here in my apartment, and I'm like, now I'm really pissed, okay, to find out all this stuff that, yes, our government really, really does this. One really good executive order that is online is Executive Order 13521. And my favorite version of it is in IntelliHub. And again, President Obama signed that onto that was already an existing executive order, but he added to it. And in that order, um, it allows our military to spray our own citizens with biological agents for secret testing, okay? And so I was like, President Trump's now in office. And I opened up, whoop ass with Department of Homeland Security, Office of the Inspector General, because, see, when I'm really sick with the anthrax, my body self-replicates this next generation germ warfare anthrax, which is being conducted out of the United States um, Army, Utah, Proving Grounds. And the next generation germ warfare anthrax is going to be aerosols. And I often wonder if they're not already doing that in the chemtrailing because the main concoctions of the chemtrailing is barium, aluminum, mercury, lithium. They put viruses in there. And that's really, in essence, what they're spraying us with. Um, So I'm finding all this stuff out. And I'm sick of being sick with the anthrax all the time. And having to put myself into a hospital situation where I'm shoved into the glass doors or, you know, um, they put me in the glass room. Sometimes I had an experience, and this is the one that set me over the edge, is they got me all hooked up to the IVs and shut the door. And instead of the black suits coming, there was an officer just all in black uniform with a canine dog outside my room in an emergency department. So I take myself with my little hospital gown and all my IVs and I roll out and I go confront him. And I said, listen very carefully. I said, they may have positioned you here with your little K-9 dog. I said, but the least you could do is let me greet your officer. And that dog, I'm telling you, that dog cried. That dog sniffed me up and down. That dog started cleaning me like he wanted to take care of what was ever the matter with me. And as I walked back to the room, I'm telling you, tears came down that dog's eyes. And that was the last time I decided that I was going to put myself into that kind of predicament. And they got me stabilized. They give me military-grade level floxacin when the anthrax gets really out of control and I need to be stabilized. Um, so I thought that's the last time I'm putting myself into that kind of situation. Now, no matter how illegal all of this is, okay, I still fought with Department of Homeland Securities um OIG office because I still should have some rights even though all this is being done behind my back I still should have some rights and in 2017 I got a hold of Department of Homeland Security OIG and they opened up a full three-week investigation on me. And everything that I claimed came back proven. They offered to settle with me for $210 million, which I have still yet to see one red cent from that. They gag ordered me. And my gag orders are through the United States Marines. Where back to, of course, right back to the Vatican. And in there, they've got this clause that if I talk about these things like we're talking about today publicly, in their little gag orders, they would charge me a million dollars per incident per violation of that. And so after their investigation was concluded, um, I got a bill in the mail from the toxicology team. Because, like, I had to send in hair samples, I had to send in body fluids, they had to make special toxicology panels, and they billed me $204,000 for their little investigation. And I thought, I'll be damned if I spend one cent of any of these bills, like I'm the victim, and they wanted the investigation, they can pay the toxicologist. So, I sent I sent the bills to President Trump. I said you guys can pay this. And by the way, where's my settlement money? All right. Well, she's no longer my toxicologist. We're just going to throw that out there today. Um, she ended up getting raided by the Secret Service and 2 weeks later followed up by a CIA raid, because in my reports from that investigation, they copywrote and trademarked my medical results behind my back, and I caught them, I caught her selling my medical results dark web to my patent holders, and I threw a fit, all right? Now, I had already been out to New York, like I previously stated, in 2016, in September. And I had hired an attorney. She was my toxicologist. They were like, we're going to run your DNA and your bloodlines to see if if we can somehow figure out why are you so targeted. And so when I'm in New York studying, um, I get a phone call from my attorney and her and they're like, Your results are in. They're like, Are you sitting down? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm sitting down. They're like, Well, we want to make sure that you're sitting down for this. And I'm like, What? They're like, You have absolutely no clue who you are, do you? I said, No. I said, Enlighten me. Like, that would be nice to know. <laughs> they're like, You are the last surviving Zarina Romanoff from Tsar Nicholas to an Alexandra Romanoff. They're like, you know, Anastasia. I'm like, yeah, they're like, she's your great cousin. And they're like, that's why they keep trying to kill you. That's why all these terrible, heinous things are being done to you because you are the sole heir of the trust that was set up for you at your birth. And I'm like, Oh really? And I said, so how do I go about getting my trust? They're like, it's really super dangerous. I said, well that I can figure out these deep state shadow government people have been trying to murder me for years. Now it makes sense. Now it makes a lot of sense. And they were like, when you were a teenager, did your mother ever get certified mail from the Russian Federation to notify her of of your trust fund? And I said I said to my attorney, I said, you know, I said I remember it like it was yesterday. I said I can still see it in my mind's eye. I said the thing is this: this was the seventies, and I said this was when all like the mail scams were starting, and all of that junk you know that was coming out of Africa. Oh, if you just send this back, you know, we'll send you you know ten billion dollars that ridiculous those like chain scams and that's what my mom thought. My mom threw it in the garbage, but it was actually true. And that was the only time they ever had to notify my mom in legal documentation of, 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 of my trust fund. She just thought it was a bunch of crap and trashed it. And I've lived through all of this ever since. And I now do have the means and the steps where legally I could go after my trust fund. It's in the billions And I think about it every day because I'm left financially destitute. But then there's a great big part of the humanitarian side of me that sits and says, I don't think I want any part of that blood money. Even though all money is blood money, this money funded world war one world war two the cold wars like there's probably 260 million people that died as a result of these international banking cartels that make these wars and to be really honest i would just like my settlements that the federal government has already pre-settled with me um I can do with my life what I need to if they would give up that money we agreed to. There's a whole other Department of Justice OIG side that settled with me, too. And neither one of them have coughed up anything for me. And I'm being capital murdered just because of my bloodlines and who I am. And that's a terrible way to have to live. And people often, you know, honey, people. You did great. People, huh? You did great. You've
2: you used just about the whole time with your story. And I'm sure people will appreciate us not interrupting you because, wow.
3: <laughs> you honey, did a I've great lived, job. I've, I've really, I have really lived through some serious hell. And I you're don't still alive to
2: talk about it. They must. Somebody wants you to tell us the story. Apparently, you've been able to get on some of the radio shows and some YouTubes, so you're making a difference in this world. So do you believe there's still some good people like the Men in Black that yeah. helped you? Because I've, I've had some save me, too, in two or three occasions. Uh, once in New Jersey. Uh, I don't know if they were saving me, but they were watching me in Hawaii. But uh, I've had them show up at different times in my life. when, And I have been chased on the freeway, by the way, with black cars. So something, and you never really, I never really put it all together. But you, of all things, nobody will ever be able to match your story. That's, I mean, yours is absolutely amazing. The
3: the thing is, is that the logistics now have turned the, the, the pike, if you will. When I go out now. I'm always covered by local police, undercover military, undercover FBI. The CIA, not so much. If they come up, they're from Chicago, but they're not around as much. But everywhere I go, I'm in company with, at minimum, local police and sheriff's department. Um, Yeah. We used to have a CIA,
2: CIA office in Milwaukee. Uh, but they shut it down uh, during, you know, the FBI and CIA sharing offices for a long time. So a lot of things have changed since I, I was <laughs> working. But uh, I really am shocked because I've never had confirmation that there's two sides to the Men in Black. So this day is a momentous occasion for
3: me in my reality. So thank you for that. And so I no, I'm really glad about that it. I could share that. Because, yes, and for some reason, like, um, for whatever reason, when President Trump comes to town, I always get personal invite. I get VIP secret service treatment. They treat me very well. They want me involved in his rallies, like, say, even when Pence came here, um I'm still on the fence about Pence knowing that he was the Governor of Indiana. With um, the pedophile rings and the satanic ritual abuse, with the MK Ultra programs, um, I do believe in aliens. I do. Um, I've learned a lot through my journey. Um, we are definitely in company, and in some in some instances, I believe that we're actually overrun by these creatures. They are, they are hybrids. I did some studies two years ago. I went actually to my local library, to the science department, and took a book out on genetic cloning. And I found that in 1901, that there was a German scientist who took one female hair and did the splits in a lab and the first female clone was made in a lab that's actually in textbook. Um, she lived 28 years, but they've been perfecting this, you know, what, at least 119 years now. But in my own opinion, um, based on my own research and my own experiences, I think that they've been doing this for centuries. <laughs> right. So
2: now the the uh, knowledge
3: is going to be aware bringing to
2: those of us that have been buying all the stuff we hear uh, in the newspapers, on television, and all of that. And maybe it is the fact that some people do know that Trump is doing good, but at the same time, we don't know. It could be because of the military and religious and political uh, brainwashing that's been done all the way back to the Vatican in the 1600s when it was either – the Catholic made the Bible, the Catholics, and then the Protestants, and bringing over to America all the different you know, Quakers and all the other <laughs> people. But really, exactly. we don't know how far back this goes. And the Romanoff name – now, I have you uh, – we've only got 11 minutes left, so I'm going to have to have Bruce and Janet have you back on there other shows, because uh, you did such a wonderful job of telling your story, and, uh, you know, we really don't have time to ask you the questions now, but you, uh, how many, let me get this down for this recording, because we're doing this live, how many times have you been able to tell your story, and only in this year, because I did have a little trouble getting on. So I do know there's two factions, yin and yang in the world, as Alan Watts would say. Yeah. <laughs> Alan Watts. This is I like the first.
3: Him, this is the uh, first one in. Um, in 2020 that I've done you, you, this is the first one I'm doing with you this year and I did the three other ones with Renetta and then I did the other one um, with Robert Morningstar who was great too Wow well I sure do appreciate your time and this was
2: in 2019 that you they're allowing you to tell your story you, because you seem to be very uh, aware that there's Politically, at least two sides. I hate to say the Dems and the Republicans, but whether we believe them or not, yin-yang, black-white, whatever, everything has two sides. So you personally, how do you live with the fact that you know there were – Police officers, but maybe they think they're doing the right thing. This is so messed up because we want to. And I did live in Kentucky, and I've been in Mumfordsville at the McDonald's, and I do know exactly where you were on the highway oh, between oh, Bowling Oh wow, Street that's and amazing! Louisville.
3: So you know I've lived exactly all of that. where I was.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I haven't been to that prison, thank God. I don't. I'm, I don't. I'm glad I didn't have to live your life. But people are going to believe you because you can tell you're telling, and you know that they have our uh, voices and everything that we say, good or bad, truth or not, is all recorded and gone through all these algorithms and everything. So the patents are what people are going to want to understand because I'm sure they're all going to start saying do I have patent? It'll be a me too generation. You know, can you give us a little information on that, please, uh, that you know about? Because you sound highly intelligent about your implants.
3: Well, I I, I am very very much aware. Um, I I've talked uh, to Bruce quite extensively. How I'm like. Still trapped in my apartment as a prisoner here. I I live in HUD housing. Um, you know we've got some of the older Nazis. The town next door to me is called Germantown, and you know we've got I've got some some people that live that are practicing witchcraft in my building. I'm always in spiritual warfare battles. Um, they put. 5G towers on our property here, um, which are about 200 feet from me. There's 80 units in this building um, divided by three floors. So every unit has their own smart meter too. And so because the Qualcomm, you know, is all Android and Apple products, which is all of our technology, like, one night, I just took my phone to bed with me to charge my phone, and they I literally woke up in my bed, and all my blankets, and I was on fire in my bed. All my smoke alarms were going off. Um, my entire apartment was full of smoke. And what is the most bizarre <clears throat> thing to me is that it was, like, at 4.30 in the morning. All the alarms are going off. Nobody in this building even checked on me, and there's smoke just piling out my windows. The fire department didn't even come. And so I still, when when it blew, like, it shot some kind of a weapon across my back. I couldn't even, like, walk for a month. Um, I still have one bruise on the inside of my leg. That even in take when I took a bath this morning, I'm looking. I'm like this damn thing is still green. Like this was like four or five months ago already, and like I am not safe where I live. These people are are definitely, you know, I'm in a in this huge war still with no reconciliation on the federal side of what they do because you know they do these programs. You know, the CIA needs to be abolished. They are the ones who conduct these heinous, heinous human experiments and just destroy people's entire lives for profit, you know? Um, Well, like you said, you've got the coming down from the church on the
2: top. (laughs) And uh, I could go into stories I've heard or I don't know because I didn't experience, but I heard my husband explain the hierarchy that you gave and that was the same one he gave so that's you're not you're the second person i've heard that hierarchy from now janet and and dr uh bruce you're on here we've only got five minutes left but we'll definitely melinda if you will agree to have you back and i'm sure janet would like to get you on her show it's a different place Uh, to store uh, another show, and Dr. Bruce can have you back as well if we can get in contact with you, but I did have a little trouble getting you, so someone is still watching you,
3: Melinda, because I could tell from the
2: no and when those... you
3: just said that I just got the universal chills from head to toe. I know that I am very well covered by the spirit realm, too I'm the good side, finally, right, that's yes, you what are, keeps us, Melinda. alive. And my, and, and my mission here, and my mission here, obviously, is not complete. <laughs> and yes, right. I will definitely come back. Um, I'm honored that you know you've taken your time today. Everybody's taken their time today, and it gives me an opportunity to share that yes, these things are real. Transhumanism agendas are real. We are in company um with aliens and you know the reptilians i I believe in all of that i've learned and studied and i've now had enough contact to know all of those things are true
2: that's amazing well all we
3: can do is our own research and
2: search our own spirit and our own soul which i believe are totally two different things and the power of three in the universe and bruce i think you did a great job Uh, by listening to Robert's show (laughs) and hearing Melinda. And I'm sure Jane would like to get in contact with her. But go ahead, Bruce. It was your your show really today.
1: Her story needs to be told over and over again uh, because of its importance. It is really one of the most um, uh, amazing stories, true stories that I have ever come across. And I told uh, Robert Morningstar that uh, him having – Melinda on his uh, his show was a winner, and now we have another case, and I'm, I'm hoping that she uh, wants to uh, continue to tell her story, and I'm hoping that uh, Hollywood will want to do a movie on this or a documentary. I've
3: already been asked if I would do a movie, and this is what the goal is, and this is where I'm seeking a little bit of help. Um, you know, I hate to ever be in a position i was always a giver and a humanitarian but if anybody wants to donate to me i can get GP through my royalty one 2018 at com. i can get donations and i can get donations thr- straight through my messenger at mindy zarneska romanoff um because i'm trying to raise funds what i want to do is those three interviews we did with Renetta in New York in September. I'm try- I want to get somebody to help me actually take those actual interviews and transcribe them into books, one for each interview, and then put it in script form and to submit it so it can be made to a movie.
0: Right, Excellent.
2: get a get a release get a release from her. and anybody's name you mention, you have to get a release from them and all that. It's all legal, Of course, you know that. So with you being here today, I'm sure you and Bruce know we're recording, and this is live, and Janet knows we're recording. so this is uh part of your future, and really, uh this goes out pretty much open source. You know, it's going to go out on Stitcher and Spreaker and FM Radio and Spotify and oh, Comcast. We have all these things where we have this TJ morse ET radio, and I appreciate you coming and sharing here, and uh, we will have this out there. So some people believe in the ET community that our only protection with extraterrestrials is themselves watching over us. And allowing their messengers, or men in black, to, to take care of us when we need it, and
3: I've I've needed it yeah. from
2: time to time. So there are two. And notes I'm to so every story. glad.
3: You know what? You are the you're the only other person that I've ever spoke to that said that they are in agreement with me where the men in black have assisted them in a positive manner. That is amazing yes. to me.
2: Well, good for you, Melinda. But in ter- I really am glad that uh, we had this discussion that there, it's not everything people are told out there. Unless they experience it firsthand, they pretty much are in the dark. I think we're treated like mushrooms.
3: <laughs> yeah, we are.
2: <laughs> but uh, I'm sure that that we'd like to have you back and if we can help you and put your information out there, just give me permission to do so and
3: email me you and I will help permission. put your information. I'll give it to you right now. You have my permission. Absolutely. Great. And if you Thank could you. just send me a link that I can share this, um, you know, and get our broadcast out there and share it to the public. And I even have a friend over who's military police in the Netherlands that I would like to get this. He's requested um, to be able to be able to share it, you know, internationally too. And this is a beautiful thing for all of us who are experiencing these things that, you know, I call it, we hear that statement, the great awakening. And yes, yes, there is a great awakening. And it's because of people like you and people like Robert and people like Bruce, that we meet and we are on common ground and we all understand these things that that may have been five years ago considered conspiracy theories, but they're really not conspiracy theories because they've been proven. They're no longer a conspiracy, they're a fact.
2: And yes, people don't know what true. to believe and they need to understand fear and love and both sides. And it can happen to them. And, you know, you're not the first person I've talked to about being on a cement floor and things. But we don't usually talk about that stuff because it's very hard for people to understand reality is uh, there is fear out there. But we're going to do all we can to make life better. So we'll keep doing our part. There's always the good and the bad and the uglies, apparently. But we got to balance the yin-yang. Well, thank you very much, Janet Carolesson. Were you able to stay with us all this time because we're out of time? <laughs>
0: Janet I'm here, can you hear me? Yeah Janet Janet,
2: (laughs) There's Melinda I'm sure you'd like to have her on your show as well So I'll make sure that Janet Has your information And Bruce can as well And Melinda I'll do a live with you uh, As soon as we can As soon as you have time
3: Yeah Janet We'll do a live Skype and Zoom Okay Okay. Melinda I'd love to talk to you Honey, you can contact me any time.
0: I'll need you to call <laughs> my
3: Yeah. It's
0: All right. Email and me Melinda. at, Aquarian Radio at email. AquarianRadio at gmail. A-Q-U-A-R-I-A-N
3: at gmail. And mm-hmm. Yes, DJ. Yes, and nice. up, and on my email our, our website. Yep, and oh. I have an email too, which is royalty one. 2018 at gmail
0: Royalty, royalty one, one
2: 2018 two, two, and I have it all and I can send it to you Janet if it's she's already given me permission to help her right. and uh, Dr. Bruce Cornette wants one, everyone to know
3: yeah I know any what? yes R-O-Y-A-L-T-Y the number one 2018 at gmail dot com. Okay,
0: so it's one two
3: zero one eight. Yes, That's and
0: if you'd yeah. like, we can That's put right. you
2: in our ACO club with and and Bruce uh, Bruce uh, TJ Marsh yep. Agency at Gmail and Cornette Bruce. Isn't that yours, okay. Bruce Cornette Bruce? Yes,
1: Cornette Bruce at yahoo dot com.
2: Uh, Yahoo. Okay, I encourage you to do a Gmail for us too. But oh, I do have uh, a Gmail. So
1: I have cornet I have Bruce three at Gmail dot com.
2: All right, that's the one I prefer to use. cornet Bruce three at Gmail dot com. Okay. And now uh, mine's T J Morris Agency, but Melinda, you have that, I'm sure. I've got yes, about eight of them. T J Mars yes, Agency. All right. And so folks, we're gonna to work together and we will uh Melinda just uh if you will send me an email with everything you want me to put on there because Bruce has asked me to uh help you as well. So I'm sure. Bruce, just email me like you've been doing, all the information. And Janet at the last minute I hadn't really had a chance to tell her that you were coming on today, but I believe it or not I can keep a secret, folks. <laughs> I did pretty good. <laughs> it's hard sometimes. But we got this far, and now, Melinda, since uh, we've got this out there, and I can see that they let me do audio, we'll be more than happy to do a nice video with all of us and let you talk. You did a wonderful job, and we'll get some video out there too, Bruce. So uh, just as okay. soon as we can, Bruce. All right. Thank you. Well, thank right, you, everybody, and we'll do this again soon, as soon as we can, okay. Melinda.
3: No, well, okay. you I'll make some time. Thank you very much. All right.
2: Thank you very much. Okay, thank, thank you, you, everybody. Okay. We'll send you the email on the video. Okay, thank you so
0: much.
2: Hello, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Virginia. <laughs> I see your number. <laughs> Is that right? Okay, here we go.